guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. I went to two big events this week. One was the Michelin Guide ceremony in Atlantis Royal, and it was full of chefs at the top of their game, winning uh, and being recognised for what they do. It shows how amazing the culinary scene here is, but also for me, it was just fascinating to see how Michelin Guide is relevant and how it operates as a licensed business model, you know, charging pla places up to $2 million around the world. Uh, to be present, but the value that they give around that and how the knock-on effect of how that helps tourism. The other event, which was seamless, held in Dubai World Trade Center, uh, was absolutely packed. It's, you know, over the years, it's gone from sort of e-commerce payments now into full-on fintech, buy now, pay later. A lot of logistics companies on display there and the startup villages were full. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you checked them out. I know there was other events like Index and other things on, but those were two that kind of caught my eye this weekend. This week's guest, brilliant Dubai story. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, we're with Jad Tubali. He's the founder and CEO of Ideals, a unique first-of-its-kind shop and win platform within the UAE region. Fascinating story. Been really looking forward to this interview. Uh, good morning, Jad. Good morning. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So, how did Ideal start? Ideal start. Um, 2015 was the first uh, inkling of Ideals. Um, at that time, the writing was on the wall. The world was moving digital at an unprecedented rate. Uh, everything we touched and knew in the analog world was moving digital. And I wanted to make my mark in that movement. And Ideals came about through that. And uh, your background before then? Um, so my previous life was in investment banking, playing with all the stuff that um, didn't make the world a better place, I would say. <laughs> um, but I found that a lot of the school of thought applied in what I did previously um, was put to use in putting together ideals. Okay, and how would you describe ideals other than that intro? What is this? It's um, very simply put, it's a fusion between online shopping and price draws. Um, we looked at the online shopping space and realized that uh, very little has been done to mature or disrupt that space. Um, the first recorded online transaction, as per the internet, happened in August 1994. So it took almost 30 years. And the modus operandi of online shopping has pretty much remained intact ever since. Um, so there was an opportunity to find a new twist to online shopping. Um, and add features to it. And we did that by mixing it or, or merging it with price draws as a form of incentive. And so it's a shop and win platform where customers can buy our own brand of merchandise, um, specifically in the fashion and fashion accessory space. Uh, and with every item that they purchase or every product that they buy, um, they are also given a chance to win something of much greater value. Um, we have five price categories that we offer, cash and gold, which is the most famous one, jewelry and watches. Cash and gold. Cash and gold. They're either cash prizes or gold prizes, oh, but right. we categorize them in one place. Yeah. Um, jewelry and watches, electronics, lifestyle, and cars. And almost everything materialistic we can think of, we can put within one of these five categories. Um, so it's an app, it's a one square inch on your phone, where if you buy any of our products, you have a chance to win something from those five price categories. Incredible. So uh, the, the design of the business, was that something that you did uniquely here rather than having just a pure prize draw or was there an intention to build sort of a brand label e-commerce as well? There is. There was the intention to build a brand label so you are buying items of utility, items of value, items of use um, from our own brand um, and we are ever so working on improving that, um, that brand and what it offers as well. It has its own brand equity on its own um, but the incentive that we used um, see, if you look at traditional online shopping, online shopping, if you look at the owners, they're typically fighting for three things. And these three things um, in the formula of online shopping didn't make sense to me. It's either faster delivery, 
everyone's fighting to deliver something faster to you. And it's almost becoming inconsequential. Like to get it in 15 minutes versus 30 minutes, it's not really that big anymore. Um, cheaper pricing and wider variety. Uh, these three things put together don't make for good unit economics because you have to spend a lot more to offer them. And so inverting or disrupting that formula, we found that you can have people still buy your products, but they will be a lot more lenient to all the other factors if you also offer them a chance to win something much more valuable. And so if you buy a hoodie and you get a chance to win a home or a supercar or a couple of million dirhams in cash, uh, that proposition sits well in the buyer's spectrum. Uh, and so that's what uh, sort of approach we took on online shopping. And can you enter a draw without buying something? Um, not on ideals, no. There must be a purchase link to it. But we have another platform called Ideals One, which was released early last year, which is a watch and win platform. So you watch dedicated content that we've targeted you with. And then if you watch it in completion, you have a chance to win. So that's another platform that we have there. Is that advertising content? It sometimes is advertising content. It could be uh, informational content. Uh, it could be survey and it could be other forms of content that we're exploring as well. Okay, wow. So how the part, the departments in your business, do you do all of these things yourself? Do you, do you manufacture the product? Do you have an e-commerce team? Like, what are the different departments of your company? Correct. So yes and no. Um, we do deal with outside vendors for some of the items that we have, typical with majority of the brands out there. Um, a number of household labels, they manufacture in plants that are not theirs or, or, or factories that are not theirs. We do the same. Everything outside of that is in-house. Um, from tech to dev to management to social to media to everything we do in-house uh, okay. and we prefer it as such it gives us full autonomy on the product yeah and yeah obviously you can't kind of have do everything uh in, in that sense but how how do you get the prizes is that something that you just allocate funds to or do you have partnerships around certain no items? Um, we don't do partnerships it remains it keeps us brand agnostic so we work with whoever we want whenever we want um, what we typically try to target in prizes is what people want most uh, and without niche, right? So some small audience like diamonds, it doesn't make a big audience for me. Um, but if we know something is in high demand, especially in the tech sector, um, if you look like the latest iPhone or when the new PlayStation comes out, or I mean, these are things, things that are not unaffordable by a, a lot of people, but hard to get. And so we try to target these type of prizes that they're high in price, but also very sought after and high, high to find. Um, for example, one of the most popular campaigns that we've had in our history, in our, in our six, seven year history, is the Mercedes G-Wagon. Um, you gave away a G-Wagon? We've given away 11. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, above and beyond it being quite a high price item, it's a $250,000 piece of kit, uh, it was very hard to get. The wait list sometimes reached two, three years. And so making these available also uh, came part and parcel with our success. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, you know, you, you kind of dropped in a number there, but like 11 times 250K is how many million? Quite a bit. Two, two and a half. Three, four, well, yeah. Four, uh, so, uh, you know, that's how much, talk a little bit about the numbers, like how much do you know how much prizes you've given out over the last six years? So prize value, we've given more than 150 million dirhams worth of prizes yeah. in the last six years. Yeah. Uh, most of that has come in the last two years. We've seen quite a nice uh, step up in our growth um, across all five of our prize categories, most of which has been cash. So approximately 40% of that number has been in cash prizes. The largest cash prize we've ever done was 2 million dirhams in cash. Um, and the lowest goes to 1,000. Um, highest price value we've ever given out was six and a half million. It was a supercar. Um, and then everything in between. So we've given away fully furnished apartments. We've given away luxury watches, luxury cars of various uh, types and, and sorts, um, as well as different packages in the technology sector and so on. Uh, we've also done VIP license plates, VIP telephone numbers, and everything in between. Do people select, so you mentioned the five categories at the start, mm -hmm. so people will say, okay, I want to get the cash gold prize or the apparel or something, then I'll buy something in that category, I'm in a draw, and what's the frequency of that draw and how does it work in terms of what are my chances to win? Very good. 
Uh, so the, the, the three differentiating factors of ideals and then everything else that's happening around us. Um, for starters, we're a first mover in the space of shop and win. So we started in 2016. Um, putting together the modus operandi as it is, is a first mover globally. There is no, we don't have a replica or a copy of us globally that we're benchmarking off of. Um, the way we do our prizes uh, is we stack a certain quantity of a product within a campaign. With every purchase of that product, the buyer of that product is getting a ticket to a prize draw. Um, it's finite either by quantity or by time. So we either open it for a certain amount of time or a certain quantity. Um, if we look at quantity, for example, let's say 1,000, right, 1,000 T-shirts. When you buy, you're getting a ticket. Because there's 1,000 T-shirts, there's only 1,000 tickets. So you're one in 1,000 to win whatever that prize is. Okay, so the, the item available is limited based on entries. So, yeah. Correct, yeah. correct. It's, it's a way of looking at it, yes. So if we have 1,000 products in a campaign, then there are only 1,000 tickets. And if you buy one, then you're one in 1,000, and your odds are very visible, and you know. In the uh, quantum of time, when we limit it by time, uh, we will open it. The shortest we do is probably about two hours, and the highest we do is probably about four months. Um, and anything that sells within that period of time, you're getting a ticket. But the quantity is unknown because it's dependent on how many is sold within that period of time. Now, data allows us to analyze how long, how long and how much we need to uh, make economics on a specific campaign, but it would typically be unknown uh, as to how many we'd be in there. Now, having said that, the lowest odds we've ever done, or chances of winning, as people like to call it, uh, within a campaign is 1 in 20. So you're in 1 in 20 to win a certain prize, and it's a prize of substantial value. Like there's nothing below 1,000 dirhams in there. Um, and the highest we've ever reached is 1 in 200,000. Um, which makes it for some of the best odds of winning or chances of winning globally. Um, when you look at something like um, the raffles that happen on a much bigger scale, um, where it's not a finite number within a campaign, it depends on luck of some balls or some other thing, um, they can get into the 1 in 10 billion. So when you talk about 1 yeah. in 200,000 versus 1 in 10 billion, there's a very big difference in, in, yeah. in odds. Uh, and so that's one of the unique selling points. The other one we have is price point. Um, so you can enter for as low as three dirhams in some of our campaigns. Three dirhams is about, what, 70 cents? I mean, that also would be, in my world, some of the lowest price point of entry globally. Um, and to win a prize of substantial value. So one of the campaigns we have live currently is three dirham entry point for a chance to win 30,000 dirhams. So that is 10,000 times return on your entry point. Uh, and so uh, low odds, low price points, so our prices go from as low as 3 dirhams all the way up to 825 mm. and everything in between. Uh, almost linear in, in, in numbers. So 3, 5, 10, 15, 25, and then all the way to the 825. Uh, and then price variety. So these are the three things that uh, give us a huge differentiating factor or unique selling points of the business that you can come in and you can win something from as small as an Android device or an iPhone uh, all the way up to fully furnished apartments uh, down to the fork and knife. Uh, and that gives us the um, ability to attract a wide range of tastes, a wide range of demographics, a wide range of age group, a wide range of income brackets, socioeconomic classes, and so forth. Um, when you're looking at extremely, extremely, extremely low odds of winning with an extremely big cash prize, that has an audience, but it doesn't allow you to play on tastes. So that's the, the mm. kind of spin we took on, on winning. And do you... Uh, run many campaigns at the same time or is it like an e-commerce portal and I go on and I want to get an ideals t-shirt and, and there's many things I can select from or is there a number of open opportunities live at the same time? Um, so the opportunities that are open are based on price point so we always have about 10 to 15 live campaigns at a time having said that almost three to four close every day and three to four new ones are launched every day and we try to keep it in wide variety of what the prizes are. So always two or three car prizes, always three or four cash prizes, some electronics prizes, and nice. then other lifestyle goods. So there's always a variety that you can select from. A question on the sort of economics around this is, does it relate to what you were talking about, the window, the time, and the, the number of tickets? And 
do you, uh, you know, not revealing secrets, and obviously it's a business, but do you work out that you can make a margin on this? So do you work out that the Correct. price in is going to at least sort of cover uh, the cost of the prize? Correct. Uh, and look, how do you do we're, that? We're a, we're a for-profit company, so definitely economics are at the top of the agenda when we run a business, and I think that's only logical. No mm. one would want to run a business at loss. Uh, data allows us to understand how much we sell um, per day of a specific unit to a specific audience. And if we multiply that by time, we can understand how long we theoretically need to meet economics uh, and, and, and make money on a campaign. So we would only launch a campaign and open it up to a certain amount of time, knowing that um, from historical data, and we're, we're now privy to five years, six years of, of, of historical data, that we will meet uh, what we need to meet in terms of economic hurdle within that period of time. Technically, how do you do that? Do you have a, what do you call, do you have a, a, a quants team? Do you have a pricing team? Yeah, do you have a maths there team? is, yeah. So there's algos in place and a lot of uh, machine learning that gives us the ability to understand our data and come up with, um, see, when you launch a campaign, there's many factors that have, that come into play and they need to be balanced and calibrated perfectly in order for it to run at its most optimal level. Uh, and may, most of it is on the consideration of our customers. What do they want? Price point is a very important factor. Prize, odds of winning, time, and other salient things of when in the month you launch it and so on. So these all play a role. When in the day you launch it, how you communicate it, uh, to who you communicate it. All of these play a role. And so it's not perfect. Uh, it's something that will never be perfect because it's always in a, in, a, in a state of flux. Um, but we try to get it as near product market fit as we can, so trying to perfect it as much as humanly possible. Um, we have a very good feel on it now because we have so much data, so many transactions. So we do about, we process about 30,000 plus transactions a day. Uh, that's quite a fair bit of data points to analyze and understand how to operate the business. And uh, that's amazing. And how, is that 30,000 not unique? More people might purchase more than one thing, but how many people use Ideals and how has that platform grown? Good question. Uh, it's on the top of our agenda to keep growing that number. So today we're sitting on an active customer base of approximately 1.5 million people. Um, and that's across the globe. So we have uh, customers from more than 170 countries worldwide. Um, in fairness, majority of that audience is within the GCC, and within the GCC, majority of that audience is within the UAE. And that's a function of the majority of our marketing dollars are spent locally. Um, it's the low-hanging fruit, if you may. Uh, we spend quite a bit of our uh, marketing dollars within the UAE because it is a platform that is close to the local audience. Um, we price in Durham, the products that we buy, the, the, the products that people buy are within ease access, the prizes that people buy. Sometimes people think that uh, buying from abroad is very hard to get them their prize. It's 2023, logistics is no longer an issue. Mm. But people here still tend to um, resonate more with the platform, given that it's um, labeled a Dubai-based platform. Um, but we still have quite a fair bit of transactions happening globally. We've had winners from as far as Peru, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Philippines, India, uh, Brazil and the likes. Yeah. Really, yeah. And so uh, you mentioned off air that it's grown for 72 consecutive weeks. Months. Months, 72 yeah. consecutive months. So can you explain that? What, that's yeah. the number of people or so, the revenue? Uh, yeah. So we've, we've been alive for six years, 72 months, and every month has beat the last month uh, in all statistics from the top revenue all the way to new users, number of products sold, number of campaigns closed, number of winners made, and everything keeps growing for 72 months straight. And there must, must be a lot of repeat customers then? Must be, yes. What percentage <laughs> is returned? 78% retention rate, uh, which is highest. Um, it's very high compared to the benchmark. Um, if you win, there's almost a... We'd like to say almost a guarantee that you'll come back, back again, yeah. because now you believe in the system, you trust it, uh, you believe that this is real. Um, despite all the uh, moves we make to show transparency and let people know that this is real, you always are met with skepticism. 
Uh, and whenever you have the word win, that's a very common phenomenon that people want to question its, its authenticity, its reality, its transparency. Uh, but if you win, that's the highest form of validation. Uh, and so the repeat customer from the winning side is very high. Um, and then our normal audience depends on what you're launching, when you're launching, but you'll always manage to get them to reactivate. Mm. Um, some of the campaigns that we have are almost too good to not be in there. I mean, we have uh, 50 or 20 dirham for a million dirhams, right? Spend 20 and get a chance to win a million. Mm. I mean, that kind of input versus output. I mean, how can you sleep at night not having put a 20 in there? <laughs> Just making sure your name's in the barrel. Yeah. Because uh, all of our campaigns are guaranteed winner because they're finite either in time or quantity. When you buy and you get a ticket, the ticket's in a barrel. And that's it. One ticket will be selected and one winner will be made. So the guaranteed winner of every prize is something that we have. How are, the, how are they selected? Um, so every draw that we do is issued an individual permit by the government. They're all regulated. Um, the regulator or the government official visits our office twice a week on Mondays and Fridays, where we consolidate all the draws that have closed within that week, within those two days. And they are the only people allowed to put their hand in the barrel and select the name. It's a physical bar. It's a physical. It's not done. It's, yeah. yeah. And that's mandated by law. That's not by design or by choice. Um, people tend to trust that more. It also makes for good content, to be honest with you. Um, but it's a very traditional way of doing it. And we've stuck to it because that's what the law currently allows for. Um, but there's a guaranteed winner to every prize that we make. If you buy, your name is in there. He'll put his hand in there, select the ticket, and if it's you, congratulations, you're a million yeah. dirhams richer. Amazing. So it's a win and shop and win, but there's obviously an element of, of prize draw here. Correct. And how does that work as well with the regulation? You've, you've explained how the winners are selected, but what sort of license do you have? How, does, how is it compliant with Sharia law? How does it work? Good, good questions. Um, so the government has quite a fair bit of infrastructure around raffle draws because it's not something new that they do. Uh, they've been doing raffle draws for 28 years plus and they've had learnings and they've had improvements and they've adapted to all of these things to provide a very uh, comprehensive, cohesive and stringent uh, regulatory process around how draws are conducted. So if you as a private entity of whatever nature want to do a draw, um, you theoretically can. Uh, you have to apply for a permit. Um, there is a governing entity that allows for these permits to be issued. You submit what needs to happen in order for people to enter or access a draw, what the prize is in full detail, um, as well as all the other details that are required by them uh, for how long, how much, what is the entry point, so on and so forth. They assess this, and if they deem it permissible with, within the law, uh, then they grant you a, a raffle permit. Um, the raffle permit uh, is available for a certain period of time. That time cannot be extended or changed. Um, and then on the date of the draw that you have set in there, it can be pre-pawned, can never be postponed. So I can make it earlier, I can't uh, delay it further. Um, the regulator comes in, does an audit on the tickets, does an audit on the process, uh, selects the winner, is, is there when we call the winner. Uh, and then there is some closing documents that are required where they uh, make sure that we actually service the winner with his prize. So we have up to 60 days to make sure that the winner receives his prize. They actually call winners and check that they've received it, not only in full, but exactly as specified in the permit that we received. So if we said we're delivering a black G-Wagon, we must have delivered a black G-Wagon within 60 days to the winner. Uh, failure to do so can result in fines, closure, so on and so forth. So they're quite advanced and they're, they're also improving it uh, year by year. So in the last six years, we've seen a fair bit of improvements happening on their side as well on how they oversee, what they allow, what they don't allow, and so on. So it's, it's uh, good enough to create a business out of it, um, but still has improvements required. So we still do physical draws, tickets out of a barrel. That has a limitation, how many tickets you can put in a specific barrel, size, so on and so forth. Um, it's also very physical, there's, there's analog. Uh, so we prefer digital draws, but that's in the works. We in know that, works. that that's coming soon. Yeah, so there's obviously, uh, thanks for explaining that, there's enough regulation to give credibility 
you know, to separate you from, say, scammers or, or whatever. But there's also a lot of admin, a lot of work, and the efficiencies and everything around that um, makes it seem like it's still a resource-intensive business. You have a lot of e-commerce, you have a lot of price management, you have a lot of things like that. Even, um, I will get to the point about investment, but just following up on that, does that mean that every new prize draw you have to do has to be approved, or do you have a sec? Do you have a separate business license that allows you to operate in this area? No, every draw has to be approved every individually. Uh, mind you that the permits are issued digitally, so you you submit all the information online through their portals and so on. But someone needs to input it, and each one is issued an individual permit. Yes. Now, having done the volume that we have, so we're closing three and opening three to four a day. Um, we kind of have our procedures in place and we've automated to the highest degree possible that we can automate in this process in order to make it, number one, scalable, and number two, more efficient and, and minimize error. Um, they must have, the, the, uh, the department in charge of this must have a dedicated ideals approver. Yeah. <laughs> so I am their highest volume of draws in the Emirate of Dubai by a factor of <laughs> several. <laughs> yeah, so, wow. uh, yeah, we, we, we do occupy probably the lion's share of yeah. all draws happening in the Emirate of Dubai. When you started out, Jad, were you, was it a capital intensive business or was it something that uh, once it got up and running, it was sort of more OPEX and more it sustained itself? Um, it's a bit of both. So initial cap CapEx required was high, but it was quantifiable and it was premeditated. So we knew exactly how much we needed and we knew exactly how much it would take to get the business running and uh, organically growing enough to make it sustainable on its own. Uh, and that's why, as a startup, it's a bit of an untraditional route that we've taken, but we've never raised a round. We injected capital day one, and we've maintained that same shareholding and capital stack since day one. Uh, we knew how long it would require and how much it would require to get it off its feet. We reached that within, within the targeted time. How many years? Uh, so it took one year. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it became profitable in a year? It or? became profitable in two years, but we injected but, the capital yeah. required for one year up front. And then at the end of the first year, the numbers were enough to ensure that we taper off uh, required capital into organic capital fully. And what have you done with the profits since then? Reinjected everything. Everything? Everything. So the original people, you and others, haven't uh, received, uh, you know, they haven't received dividends. A dividend, not yet. No. So there is an exit strategy. The uh, the exit strategy is not in sight. No, um, we still have a lot of. So I mean, if if you roll back six years, what 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 did I attempt to build? I didn't go out there looking to build ideals as a shop and win platform. I attended intended to build a scalable, defensible, and profitable business that I can be proud of. Uh, scalability is the highest point on our agenda. Uh, scalability without profit is useless. Hmm. Profit without scale is also useless. And then having both of these and not being able to defend it, you don't have a, a defensible formula, so you might lose it at some point. Uh, in order to do that um, without raising money, we depend completely on profits generated and re-injecting that. Uh, and so we're scaling quite heavily. Um, we're profitable for the last four of our six-year life. And I would like to believe we're defensible because in the last six years, uh, anyone attempting to copy us or imitate us or so on has not had a fruitful journey. I think the first mover advantage has played its part in, in solidifying us uh, and the position we've taken uh, in this business. Um, we are also, uh, in our past six years of life, become partners with the government. So we are actually a digital raffle partner of DFRE, Dubai Festivals and Retail Establishment. It's the retail arm of Dubai Tourism, um, where, where they host on ideals all the grand prizes of all the festivals they run in the Emirate of Dubai. Wow. So Dubai Shopping Festival, Dubai Summer Surprise, Dubai uh, Fitness Challenge, the Eden Dubai Back to School, all activations that they have happening throughout the year, and they have many, 28 to, to, to give you the count. If there's a prize or a grand prize that is done digitally, it's hosted exclusively on ideals. Uh, and so that's also um, uh, led to our um, market leading position that we have in this space. Um, one thing I'd also like to shed light on is we have a very prominent CSR program. Um, 
we realize given the business model and given the type of prizes that we have, people may buy uh, a lot of a certain item for obvious reasons. Mm. They want more access to the draw or to the prize or what have you. Um, so we added an optionality at checkout where if you agree to donate the products that you've purchased to charity, um, we will, instead of giving you one ticket to the draw, give you two. So you can go in there and buy 10 t-shirts. Why do you need 10 t-shirts that are all identical? A charity would do much better with them. Uh, and so at checkout, you're given the option, not the obligation, completely optional, completely on your choice. If you donate these items to charity, where they can be used for much better causes, uh, you will get two tickets instead of one. We then take all these products and we donate them to our charity partner, Dubai Cares. Um, and then we have uh, optional buyback from their side to us, so they can make us buy back the products at our cost. So I replenish my inventory from Dubai Cares and then give them the cash instead, because they do much better with cash than hanging mm -hmm. inventory. Um, but then we have the autonomy to choose what that cash is used for. So we use it to build schools around the world. We've built uh, 13 schools. Our first one, operational one, was in Nepal, uh, and then Malawi, Senegal, Cambodia, Zimbabwe, and so wow. on and so forth. Um, the agreement that we have there is we have to acquire the land, construct the school, and operate it for three years. So you do have, it with Dubai Cares? We or? do it with Dubai Cares and another company called Build On. Uh, it's a program, so we fund the program, and then they do all the execution work. Um, but the schools are called ideals, so we call them, we call them after us. That's cool. uh, and so it has a nice uh, CSR program where um, we are supporting a cause that is dear to me, specifically, I think, education in the... Uh, underprivileged uh, parts of the world is important. It's key to getting people out of sort of the uh, socioeconomic class three that they're stuck in. Um, if you bring me a 17-year-old boy and you tell me one is educated and one is not, I think the educated one has a better chance of life multiple times over from the uneducated one. And so if we can have our uh, part in trying to get one move from a socioeconomic class to another, then we've done okay. That's impressive. Yeah, that's really, really impressive. Well, well done with that, and thanks for sharing. Um, fascinating. So, uh, you know, as you were talking there, I was thinking, well, what, you know, you do a lot, right? So what sort of team do you have in place? What sort of management team do you have in, in place? And what's the size of the team? Um, not enough, is what I'd say. <laughs> so we're total about 30. Uh, it sounds small, especially in light of um, the kind of figures we have. Uh, so we are 13 times the benchmark of revenue per employee, um, which is the highest I've seen around. Um, we're small, but we're very structured and very organized. So we have a holding company. Under the holding company, we have uh, an entity called Ideals Global. It's a shared services platform. So all our tech, talent, marketing, social, PR, legal, accounting, finance, management, all of that sits in this entity and it serves all our other operating entities. And so all our other operating entities are headcount light and then they have a service level agreement between each other. Uh, Ideals as a company has a headcount of four. Uh, it's basically people in the, in the experience center and the winner servicing and customer servicing team. Um, but it's serviced heavily by the 25 people that sit in, in global. Um, and then we have two or three other operating entities. Uh, one is Ideals One, the watch and win platform that I told you about. Uh, the other one is called Well Played. Well Played is the brand of merchandise that we sell. Um, it's new to the market. We're putting a lot of emphasis on that uh, entity. And then uh, we have uh, international operations. Um, we uh, built a franchise model. So there is a franchise model in place and we've, um, we've secured uh, franchisees in different territories and are in conversations for others. Okay, fascinating. Just uh, so the the team, uh, so you obviously run it day to day, and then uh, do you have other senior management? And, yes, I do. Yes, and yes. and so and and the other skills that you bring in, like it's marketing team, it's operations people. Correct. And Correct. you recruit from the UAE, and you think it's a good talent pool. We recruit mainly from the UAE because uh, it takes for lower time to to uh, bring on board. Uh, and they're familiar with the ins and outs of the city. Um, we've, we've hired from abroad before. That's not uh, something we don't look at. But it's pure meritocracy. Um, what the role requires, we hire it with no attention paid to anything but what the role requires. Hmm. Uh, Fair. And then you mentioned Well Played. Is that the core brand 
Uh, or did you, I'm imagining, do you have Ideals t-shirts or is it more, it's a well-played brand? Or? So well-played is the parent company of the merchandise that we sell. Uh, under it, we have two lines that we, we operate. One is called Well-Played and it's pure brand and one is called Ideals Basics. Both of them are in the fashion and fashion accessory space. Um, but depending on the market and depending on the price point, uh, we select which one uh, is more suitable for that market. Hmm. Have there been any difficult periods, like uh, any difficult challenges? What's been the hardest point of the journey so far? Um, it, it, one thing I would have underestimated is the level of effort required to attract and retain customers. Uh, you might think it's easy. I'm, I'm, I'm dangling a G-Wagon. Who doesn't want that? Or, or, or two and a half million dirhams in cash or a license, but what have you. Uh, it's not as easy as it is. Customer acquisition and retention, more importantly, is um, an ongoing effort that you have to put. It's not that you attracted them and then you expect to retain him. There is a continuous protocols that need to be put in place to ensure that that customer um, is attracted and retained. Uh, the formula is quite simple, right? There's two concepts. One is CAC and one is LTV, lifetime value and then customer acquisition cost. Uh, you're trying to minimize your customer acquisition cost and increase the customer lifetime value. Uh, that is a never-ending uh, battle that you have to continuously be, be on top of, um, no matter what you're doing. So mm. I'm, I'm now focusing the majority of my time on uh, scaling into international markets, but the effort to uh, attract and retain domestically uh, has always been full throttle. We've mm. never relaxed it or put it on autopilot. We're always trying new things. Uh, the other thing is, specifically within that space, what you use before uh, quickly becomes redundant. You need to continuously innovate and change and invert formulas where you can um, to make sure that it's always fresh. Uh, applying one strategy and putting it in place and just holding it forever, a loyalty program or what have you, will only get you so far. It'll become redundant and boring very quickly. And so you always have to evolve and, and, and continuously shapeshift yourself into new, new, new technologies, new methodologies, new tactics. Um, that, uh, that we have to apply. We work very closely with all the uh, big tech socials. So mm. We're very close with Meta, we're very close with Google, we're very close with uh, other, other platforms out there uh, where we have private account management and we do our thing. To help on the marketing side of things and the retargeting. But, but so you started well year one and then it's grown every month on month. Uh, so, you know, th there doesn't seem to be an obvious sort of road bump that's sort of uh, question the existence or question the future, question the strategy. But there have been, you know, we had a, a, a guest on the show who's also in this sort of competition prize draw element, and there's a few other that people will know of in the UAE. It's sort of, it's getting more competitive than it was when you started. Have, have any of those uh, competition entrants to the market become threats? Uh, and how do you view that? Uh, I haven't yet met an apples to apples comparison. If we talk about apples to oranges, both are still fruit, so it's fine to, to compare. Um, yes, there have been some entrants uh, post uh, our entry into the space um, <clears throat> that offer composites, uh, buy something to win something. Um, if people uh, focus on the USPs, then they'll understand the differences very quickly. Uh, if you just look at it uh, from a 60,000 foot altitude, uh, then uh, it's a different story. Um, for for our, our business model was studied meticulously. Uh, the country offers me enough uh, in order to scale and build a successful business out of it. I don't know if that's uh, a formula that works for other business models, but for mine, it works, uh, at least domestically, when I'm looking purely domestically. Other entrants um, there are pluses, there are minuses. The pluses are, well, they educate the market further of the availability of such an offering and the modus operandi around it. So if I end up targeting or overlapping the same customer, they're not completely alienated by the business model or the steps of the business model. So that helps in that way. Uh, negatives, it's still a small market. UAE is 10, 11 million population. And so you can't really have too many in that space. Uh, otherwise, it'll become too saturated and no longer appealing. And I think survival of the fittest rules will apply at that point in time. Um, 
and I'm happy to 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 <laughs> see how I fare in that uh, in that uh, field. Uh, but that's as as much as I can shed on that. Um, we've been around since 2016. Majority of others have popped in in 2020, 2021. We have not seen any uh, uh, difference. Now, in the absence of them, could I have grown more? I think hypothetical question I'm unable to completely quantify. Okay, fair, fine. Uh, but is there is there something that you think could be a threat? Like. You know, it's a cliche question, but what would keep you up at night? Regulatory change, uh, you must abide by the law. We mm. must, uh, no matter how it changes, abide by it. Uh, it's a young country. Laws are always changing. Laws are always getting amended. Uh, protocols are always being added. Different things uh, are being put in place for a future vision that we might not be aware of as a, pub, as a private company. Uh, so regulatory change is, is, uh, is one big one. Um, and in order to alleviate some of the concerns I have in that space, well, number one, we're partners with the government, so it's as close as I can get to understanding if there is a regulatory change, how I can adapt to it, how I can still function within it. And number two is uh, scaling internationally, where I no longer depend just on one market and its regulation. I can uh, be regulated by other entities in other jurisdictions um, that sort of diversify my risk on, specifically with regards to regulatory change. I think that's the biggest one. Uh, following that, uh, market saturation, uh, consumer exhaustion, uh, there are other factors, but they're, they're not things that would keep me up at night, so to say. Um, luckily and thankfully, uh, we built a profitable business, and so funding issues, which is usually at the top of the mind of any startup that is not revenue generating or revenue generating but not profitable, uh, is a concern. We don't have that. We sit on a very strong balance sheet, a very healthy cash flow. We sit on huge reserves to make sure that we can honor every single prize we offer. Uh, and about that, we, we buy and acquire in full every prize we offer before offering it. Not a single thing is put out there if it's not 100% owned by ideals. Uh, and that's something we pride ourselves with because a lot of the uh, sort of lower end imitations of us that have come, and that's a natural phenomenon that happens, um, do not have that uh, and cannot have that. Any prize that you see on my platform, you can walk into my showroom and ask to see it physically, and it's, if it's not it's, displayed out yeah. there, we'll bring it out and show it to you. You have it. Um, you mentioned a few times, Jad, about international expansion. <coughs> how do you assess market entry and opportunities? Where do you pick to go, and then how do, uh, what are you looking at at the moment? Fair. Um, well, for the first first point we look at is who's buying from us now internationally. So my second biggest market today outside of the UAE is Saudi Arabia, followed very closely by Pakistan. And so those are the two markets we initially would look at targeting. Um, but th that's the kind of first line of, of assessment. Uh, if we drill down further from there, we would look at smartphone penetration. We are a mobile first platform, so we do uh, uh, have our experience uh, most optimized for smartphones. So smartphone penetration is huge on the agenda. Uh, credit card penetration or digital payment penetration, uh, availability of data and internet. Um, you must have access. I mean, we send push notifications about four times a day on campaigns that are launching, so access to that kind of data uh, is easy. And the world is moving in that direction. It's not hard. We've been to many third world countries that <clears throat> I was surprised at the availability of smartphone and data. <clears throat> um, mm. Demographic profile. Uh, how many millennials, Gen Zs, so on and so forth, <clears throat> and uh, price and product variety of how well they would work in that product. So purchase power parity. Uh, would people be able to afford the items that we sell at the prices that we sell them for the prices that we're giving away? Uh, those are the sort of high uh, level traits that we would look at, uh, followed immediately by regulation. Right? What is the regulatory scene there? Uh, is this space regulated? Uh, how is it viewed? Uh, what are the steps, limitations? So here, I have an unlimited amount of raffle permits I can get issued. Um, there are some countries we've seen that you have a limit, that you can only get X per X per Y or what have you. And so these are things we would also see. Um, for the most part, um, we have not yet been met with a market that is unaccommodating for the business that I operate. Uh, so, so what would it look like? So say you open up another market, 
uh, you already have the app downloads. I open up the app. Do I select by country and do I select deals that are available in that specific country? Correct. So it would auto select, but you have the ability to change it if you want. It's similar to entering any of the e-commerce big retail, or yeah. big e-commerce sites. You would select the country you're in. Naturally, if you're in the UAE, why would you select Amazon Portugal, right? I mean, mm. you'd you'd, you'd want to make sure it's it's in the location that you're you're based in, and so you would select the country and then. From there, you would be you would be accessing so, the campaigns available to that country. So even though you can, people from anywhere Peru can enter in the UAE, they can win the prize. Uh, you actually can reach more people if you've got set up on the ground there, Correct. because you can have it. Uh, even though it's no issue shipping, but you can actually have more targeted local prices. The G wagon can be licensed in Saudi, for example. Correct. Uh, you'll have a greater affinity to the product if it's localized for your market. So. Uh, one of the markets that we're entering into uh, is the UK. Um, we have clean legal opinion to enter the UK market. I wanted to test how this business, this platform, would operate in a first world market, in a developed, uh, sophisticated market. Um, we have received clean legal opinion. Uh, if you are buying from the UK, you would obviously like to... Well, changing currency is not bad, not, not hard to do. Um, but other features on app that localize it, be it the color scheme, be it the products that we sell, be it the price point that we sell it at, be it the prices that we offer are catered specifically to a UK audience, uh, that will fare well in the eyes of the consumer. Well, first of all, left hand, drive, uh, left hand versus right hand. Uh, then if you're getting it from the local distributor, you're getting with it the warranty, the service contracts, the so on and so forth. In, in, in any spectrum of tangible good that applies, uh, be it white goods or, or your technology to cars to even watches, mm. uh, having it from the local authorized distributor will resonate higher with you as a local buyer. Uh, and it would reduce the friction of you converting on the platform. So me being able to offer that in different geographies is something that... Um, we're looking at very heavily now in order to scale what we built and what we what we're building on. Okay, amazing. But I'm intrigued by Saudi Arabia. Is the regulatory process in place there for you to enter at the moment? No, not yet. Not in its current format. It's not not there. But the way it is doesn't make this an economically friendly operation at the time being. Now, having said that, Saudi is going through a lot of change. Uh, Saudi is. Uh, restructuring a lot of the laws that make ease of business a very high point on their agenda. And so there is in the pipeline uh, new regulation coming out with regards to uh, raffle permits specifically, which is one component of our business, that will um, improve uh, the viability of the business model there. Mm. Uh, and when that happens, we're ready to jump in because ready we're doing all the groundwork now. Yeah. Amazing. So we're almost out of time, but what's your view just take outside of ideals? You know, we're in the sort of still early parts of this decade. How do you view the region? How do you view the economic opportunity in the GC, in, in Dubai, UAE, and then GCC? Uh, I, 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 it's a quite a topic of conversation happening quite a bit now. And I always say that I, I've been in, in the UAE for 20 years now. And when I first moved here, Dubai was up and coming and the UAE was up and coming, but nowhere near uh, where it is today. Today, I would almost say it's position number one globally. Mm. And we've been very fortunate to come to a part of the world where it was rank what have you to rank number one in a very short period of time uh, during my professional career. Uh, and so uh, the globe's eyes are on Dubai. It's the, the center of now, as they say in downtown. Um, the infrastructure in place, um, the ecosystem on a startup level has had tremendous improvements from five, six years ago or ten years ago to today. And uh, so we're in a very blessed place, um, especially if you plan to scale. I think as a testing ground or as a launch pad, Dubai offers the best possible place to do that. Why? Uh, diversity. In my office, I have about 13 nationalities uh, and 30 people. Mm. Um, in order to create a business and target so many different income levels, age groups, nationalities, ethnicities, uh, backgrounds, and so, it is extremely hard. And if you can make it here doing that, uh, then when you go to a region where the population is homogeneous for the most part, you look at... I don't know, Pakistan, 220 million, they're all Pakistani. Mm. Uh, we look at Saudi, there's about 80 plus percent Saudi. 
uh, Egypt, 110 million Egyptians. <laughs> but when you look at here, uh, just outside you'll see about 14 different nationalities. So it makes it very hard um, to get your formula right and target so many different backgrounds and so many different traits. And if you can do that here, then imagine when you scale with a homogeneous population. And so uh, I'm excited about that opportunity that exists in other markets because it presents me with a challenge that uh, was, is a lot easier than the one I had to face here. Um, we have certain campaigns, and when we launch the ad sets for the campaigns, almost 16 iterations go out for a specific ad mm. uh, to resonate for a different type of, of audience. Um, that's just the, in the UAE. Just, just in the UAE. Mm. Uh, and then that's changing language, that's changing uh, context, that's changing color, that's changing tone of voice, that's changing to attract a different audience uh, for a different campaign. So um, I think that provides a very good testing ground. And startups should leverage that completely, that the diversity that this country offers you, uh, if you're able to make it and able to understand it and able to decipher the data that you get from it, then jumping into other more homogeneous markets, and I don't think there's a market that has this much diversity, I'm yet mm. to find one, um, should be a lot easier. Mm. Should be a lot easier. Fascinating. Really positive note to finish on. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thanks for sharing with us Thank this morning. You. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you very much. Wow, I'm impressed. Uh, what a great business story that is, you know, not necessarily copying anything, coming up with something new, but having so many fundamentals there that he spoke about. Uh, really impressive uh, what, it, what they've achieved at Ideals, and I hope you enjoyed it too. I'd like you to thank our producers, as always, Ali K, Ali B, and Shahir Al-Kindi for putting everything that goes into making this show. We're up to, you know, 12 to 15,000 listeners monthly each show gets over a thousand and all of you business owners are similar uh it's really sort of a niche audience niche niche podcast uh and you know we keep bringing people who mightn't always be in the limelight who are usually busy uh running their businesses uh and don't necessarily be on the front covers of magazines but that's what dubai works business podcast is about uh you can uh, if you're listening as most people are on apple Podcasts, please do like comment uh, or comment and subscribe uh, and leave a review. Uh, let let us know that you're listening. Let us know what you like, what you don't like about it. Maybe it's my Irish accent. Maybe it's something else. Uh, any feedback? We always want to improve the show. Please do share. And uh, if you'd like to watch what the guests look like, uh, you can watch on Smashy.tv, uh, also on uh, mobile apps and on smart TV devices as well. There is a subscription, but it's a seven-day free trial, and then 18 dirhams a month or 180 dirhams for the year. You'll get loads of more shows. You'll have uh, over 300 live sports matches a season from UAE local sports, and there's a lot of other content on there as well, and there are different podcasts and different shows. We'll be back, as always, at 11 o'clock on Friday live next week. Uh, and the podcast goes out in the afternoon. Thanks for listening.